Hey, welcome again to another edition of The Future Belongs to Creators. I am your host, Miguel, joined today with Haley and Ben in Fort Charlie. How are you doing, folks? Doing great. Happy to be here. Doing good. It's kind of weird, though, like with Ben, because I don't feel like I've been on too many podcast episodes with Ben. I feel like Ben fills in for me a lot. And so it's like, what is Ben going to be? It's like, you're not in the chat. It's, it's almost weird. You know, it's like, in, instead I can chat with you. It's great. Now all my comments are going to be front and center. I don't have to like wait for people to pick and choose my, my solid gold comments. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. He's usually the, the Haley stand-in, mm-hmm. so this will be fun. All right. Well, today, let's just get right to it. Today, we're going to be talking about how the creator economy spreads and maybe doesn't spread the wealth. We're going to be kind of diving into this because I was thinking about the recent, I don't know if you all have heard about this or not, but the recent uh, Twitch hack that happened about a week ago, and it got me thinking about how kind of exclusive the creator economy is for creators that are trying to make a living in it. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that a little bit and how hard it is to, you know, break into this top 1% that are making the most of the money in this. But, uh, don't worry, it won't be all doom and gloom. So we're all gonna, we're gonna talk about this from both sides. Yeah. First of all, let's start with this. For those of you who haven't heard, so Twitch got hacked and a bunch of information got leaked out. And uh, it kind of revealed that a top 1% of all streamers earn more than half of all revenue on the platform, according to the information that was obtained by the Wall Street Journal. So that's kind of sad when you think about 99% of streamers are sharing 50% of the revenue and the other 1% are sharing the other 50% of the revenue. How does that make you feel? Okay, well, (laughs) let me start here with my first comment on this. I was not surprised by the one percenters making like, you know, all the money. I mean, that's pretty consistent with the rest of the world, right? (laughs) What I was really surprised with though, was that the vast majorities made less than $120 a year. And if you think about that, if you break that down into, right, the number of hours, you know, a rate per hour that you're making, that is not, I mean, like minimal doesn't even begin to, you know, express how small of amount of money that is. So I think that was honestly the thing that surprised me because that feels like a disparity compared to the rest of the world, right? Where you have the one percenters and then you have like the, you know, middle income earners and it doesn't feel like there's really a middle income earner here. It's either you're in the 1% or you're in the bottom half. At least that's the way that the information was presented to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be specific, that 120, the 120 is uh, specifically around video. So people that are uh, trying to, they're making less than $120 a year so far per that report and video, mm-hmm. which is sad, very sad. What were you going to say, Ben? Yeah, I, I just remember, I remember seeing a news article about that. I didn't realize that that was a hack, that there was like leaked information. I thought Twitch was just releasing the revenue data for, <laughs> but <laughs> the goodness of the yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think so. Yeah. And I, it's, it is kind of interesting that there is kind of no middle class when it comes to like creators and, and Twitch people, because people put like, tens or if not hundreds of hours per year creating this content and they are not getting any income for it or at least not very much, which I think is kind of sad. I've been on on that side of the coin where I've put a lot of effort into creating something and not gotten much revenue in return. And it can definitely feel a little bit depressing. Yeah, I think it's really sad. I think it highlights, sorry, Miguel, I know I think you're about to say something, but I had a thought and I knew I was going to lose it. So I kind of jumped in there. Give it to me. I, it was what, a couple weeks ago when Instagram and Facebook went down, right? Uh-huh. And somebody came back on, which I like a 
social media influencer, if you will, someone who had a lot of cannot remember who it was for the life of me, but I do now. And this is very on brand. It was a ceramicist. Okay. (laughs) It was. And I bought a lot of this girl's ceramics. It's like two, two, three, two. Anyways, one of the things that she said was posted afterwards, after this had happened, is she said, imagine if we didn't have Instagram, like imagine how many small businesses would completely crumble if Instagram didn't exist. And the reason for that is, is because Instagram in so many ways is like designed as a, like a search tool. I oftentimes will see a business that I'm like, oh, what's that business? I don't go to Google. I immediately go to Instagram and type in the name, right? So there's all these small businesses. Anyways, the following uh, story slide was, if you really want to follow me or you really are invested in my business, then sign up for my newsletter, right? And that just like goes to talk about the importance of owning your own audience and not relying necessarily on these third party, right? Whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whoever it is. But I just, I love the way that she prefaced that because she said, imagine if Instagram didn't exist. Imagine what that would do to the creator economy, right? And the thing is, is that there is a solution to that. The solution is is ultimately owning your audience, right? So just a thought. No, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, so the Facebook ecosystem is, you know, things like Instagram, obviously Facebook. They also own WhatsApp. And a lot of people around the world rely on these things. I was listening to a story talking about how there was a company who basically does 99% of their sales on either Facebook, Instagram, and they communicate Mm -hmm. with customers via WhatsApp. So literally their entire infrastructure was destroyed for like five hours. And you think five hours, not that big a deal, but that's a lot of lost opportunity for a business, especially with these businesses rely as, like you said, people, you think of a business, you go to their Instagram story and see what, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of like their webpage for a lot of people, especially if around the world, Facebook has made a lot of deals with internet providers to allow people to have access to Facebook for cheaper data rates than Mm -hmm. if you go somewhere else. So Facebook has positioned itself as like the internet for a lot of low-income countries because the barrier to entry for the internet is Mm -hmm. they've made it so low if you go through Facebook as opposed to just doing the www page Mm -hmm. for it. So for a lot of people, Facebook is the internet. So when that went down, the internet was down. And that's tough for businesses Mm -hmm. who rely on that. Yeah. So speaking about that, and one thing I want to call out too, is that this is just, I'm not saying that only 1% of people on the internet are making money as creators. I'm saying that this is a Twitch. We're talking about what Twitch highlighted. So Twitch is just like a case study and something that probably is similar in other places, but I'm not saying that this is the creator economy as a whole. So let's just make sure we're not crossing streams there. Yeah. Also though, I think it's important to talk about this because it's just a warning sign to me, right? Instagram going down Mm -hmm. was a warning sign. Twitch uncovering all this information, like, or, you know, sharing all of this, this information is a warning sign. So it's just to highlight, right, for creators that are out there that are prioritizing maybe one thing or the other, the importance of the importance of owning your audience, right? Which is not to like, we don't really often talk about ConvertKit or plug ConvertKit all that often on this podcast. We really do a good job, I Mm -hmm. think, of talking about the creator economy as a whole. But like, this is a warning sign to talk about the importance of owning your own audience as a creator. And that's, that's regardless of what your niche is. That's if you're, if you do video, you know, like if you do newsletters, if you, obviously, if you do newsletters, podcasts, social, you know, like whatever your business is built around, just own your fucking audience, man. Right. Sorry. First one. First one went down. I got it. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) Well, the thing that that brings up for me, too, is I saw a news article that 
Amaranth is a Twitch streamer and she just got banned again from Twitch. She re- she like makes like racy Twitch things and she got banned from a bunch of different platforms. But also Dr. Disrespect was banned, I think, last year for whatever reason off of Twitch. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder why and it's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> I've read so many news articles about why he could have potentially been banned, but hasn't been released yet. But he's actually suing Twitch as well. So you could be banned from these platforms for maybe a good reason, maybe a false reason. But yeah, I think that's why it's really good to own your list and also diversify. I wonder a lot of these Twitch users that are only making 100 bucks a year is the only thing they're relying on the subscriber, like buying a subscriber on Twitch or however, like the internal Twitch revenue. Are they doing other things? Are they selling courses? Are they on other platforms? Are they taking their videos and putting them on YouTube as well too? Are they have wish lists, all sorts of other things? How are they diversifying their income? That's what I'd be really curious about. Yeah, because Charlie's on Twitch, but she doesn't rely on Twitch for her money, but it's just like another avenue to connect with her mm-hmm. audience. But it's not the mm-hmm. avenue, which which you know goes to the point that you guys are making about diversifying things. You know, it makes me think of kind of like, I was trying to think of a good analogy and it's like, Yeah, right now, there's no reason to buy a Blu-ray or a DVD because you can stream everything. But what happens when the internet goes down and you want to watch a movie? All of a sudden, your Blu-ray collection that's in a drawer somewhere, you're like, well, I guess I can watch The Lord of the Rings again. You know, (laughs) like you kind of like you look at what you own. You look at what you actually have access to because you're not relying on these mid parties to exist or function in order to interact with those things. I have a real analogy on that. The other day, we went on a road trip to Ben's hometown, Moscow, Idaho. Shout out. Oh, yeah. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. And we went on a, on a road trip there. We were there at for homecoming and my car has a DVD player and I have kids. And I was like, well, I don't have any DVDs, <laughs> so, but it was a long, it was a long trip. So I had to go to the store to buy a DVD, Oh God! you know, because I'm thinking also like, I don't, you know, want my kids to be on the tablets the whole time. Like they can all watch this. I don't want to have like five tablets going on at the same time. So I was like one DVD, but yeah, I had to go to the physical store (laughs) to buy a DVD because I didn't own any. Well, yeah. I mean, because we rely so much on these things. You don't even think about it. Like my internet was down this morning and uh, I was like, oh, my internet's down, whatever. I'll just like tether to my phone and figure it out until I get this working. And immediately after having that thought, I like told my smart speaker to like start playing some podcast. And it's like, I can't connect to the internet right now. I'm like, God, I'm such an idiot. Like I just literally like was interacting with the fact that I have no internet. And my next move was to try to use the internet. It's like, so it's such a part of our lives. Like you can't even like, you have to be, you have to reprogram your entire brain. I just had a thought on this and this is, I mean, we're going a little bit off base here, but I'm all right with it. We'll we'll reel it back in. We'll reel it back in. Could you imagine if Amazon didn't exist anymore? What would you do if Amazon didn't exist anymore? The other day in the car, my kid said to me, you can just order it online. It'll be here tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the world that you live in, you know, but seriously, all of these things that we rely on. Right. And I think that over the last and now here I am reeling it back in. But over the last 18 months, what we know to be true is that COVID has disrupted this world. Right. And that you can't rely like you can't order furniture right now for crying out loud because everything is stuck in the middle of the ocean. You know what I mean? Like, look at all of the things that have been disrupted, all of the supply chains that have been disrupted. Look at the car economy, you know, the car dealerships like you can't get new cars because a chip is missing or something, you know, something like that. Right. It's just the entire world has been disrupted by 
this one thing. And so it just goes to highlight, you can't rely on the internet <laughs> for Miguel's sake. But you can't rely on, yeah. on, on just one thing. It just can't as a creator. To circle this back around to the economy thing, there's one thing that I want to, please, to, please. to point out, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, for a while I had a website about motorcycle safety and it made me about like three to $500 per month, which is not enough to live on. But having an extra three to $500 a month was pretty awesome. Like that is enough to go on a couple fancy dates with my girlfriend at the time is enough to like buy myself like a electric guitar if I wanted or reinvest in the company as well too. And so I think we do focus a lot on the people that are making like no money or the people that are making like buku dollars. But if you can just be making a few hundred dollars, that can be a pretty significant bonus to your to your life. That is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for a lot of the times we focus on the goal of like, leave your your daytime job and go work. Never work a day in your life because you're doing what you love or whatever the cliche is. But that's a really good point is uh, if you're just trying, maybe the goal can be to try and supplement your income with some X amount of money. Like if you can say, if I can make a side hustle that makes it so that I don't have to pay for my cell phone bill mm -hmm. anymore. That's maybe that's a good place to start my goal. Mm -hmm. Or if I can start a side hustle and it, it's my car payment, cool. Then my side hustle got me a free car, essentially. That would be a really cool sort of empowering thing. And you can roll that into something else or you can just supplement your income with it and maybe start something new, completely different and just, you know, kind of ride it out a little bit maybe. That's why I think it's important to like whatever sort of side hustle you feel like doing, make sure it's something that you enjoy because there's a good chance, a, a very good chance you won't make very much money at all with it. So you might as well enjoy it, which is why a lot of these people like on Twitch and playing video games or just chatting or what have you playing instruments. I think that is a, a great thing to do on the side. And as long as you enjoy it, like if you get a little bit extra money, that is fantastic. But there are a lot of people that see some of these big streamers and they're like, I want to do that for a living. And I'd also venture to say that once you start, once something becomes your full-time income and you're relying on it, like even playing video games, it changes the dynamic of it. So I think there's a mental health benefit for keeping something a side hustle rather than it just being your full-time income you depend on. So Haley, I know that you've talked about the happy, happy house plant thing before, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you're know you leaning into the pottery thing now. So are, is this something that you are personally trying to do with side hustles? Is this, are you trying to supplement your income in some way? Is it more about just kind of like pursuing a hobby that happens to make you money? So it makes you feel good that like, you know, it's not just this, like what motivates you to start Happy Happy House Plant or to, you know, buy a really nice pottery wheel and, you know. Happy Happy House Plant was, there's a lot of things that went into that one, but mostly, I mean, the opportunity, like we saw a big gap and an opportunity and I'm obsessed with house plants, right? So like that, <laughs> that was kind of a no, that was kind of a no brainer. But it also just happened to be that the person that I launched that business with, Mandy, she is a really established creator who has been making a living and earning a living being a blogger, a DIY blogger for a really long time. So she already had a really established audience. So that was a different type of like opportunity because I knew that it was going to be successful based off of the loyalty of the audience that she already had. So mm -hmm. I don't know. 
if I would consider that one to be kind of the same. I, to be honest, right now, like with COVID and kids and family and all these things and my job at ConvertKit, which is, you know, ties me up a lot. My side hustles are really meant to serve my mental health, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what pottery is for me. And so for me, I really enjoy doing it because it's super cathartic for me. And I like, that's just a one way that I can decompress. And for me, I just am kind of letting that one become what it becomes. If it becomes something that I end up like taking stuff to the farmer's market and selling it, then it's still always to me going to be the thing that's a side hustle that just, like I said, serves a purpose in my mental health and serves a purpose for like my enjoyment. I don't think I'll ever try to use it to like make a full-time, you know, I don't think the primary reason what that I will ever do that will be to make to make money. But I think that as a creator, it's really important to know that, right? Like I'm not relying on pottery to make me money. Happy, happy houseplant was different. Happy, happy houseplant was something that I like. We really invested a lot of time and energy and money into. And that was a project that was designed to make money. Yeah. So it's like the difference between an outlet Mm -hmm. for you creatively that may turn into something that makes you money as opposed to you saw a gap, you saw an opportunity, you saw yeah. an opening and you thought this could make money and I happen to like plants. So let's, <laughs> let's fucking go for it. <laughs> there you go. Second one, second one. Boom. <laughs> That'd be a great topic for yeah. a future episode though, to like navigate that. Like when does something turn up from like a fun hobby to like potentially like an income generating thing and like what mental shifts you need to do in order to like make that successful because I'm in the same boat, Haley. My hobbies right now are basically video games and playing music. And I'm always thinking about creating different things. And so I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to start a YouTube channel just doing covers of things like on my, my cello back here or like doing electric guitar covers or things like that. And sometimes people can make money just like and get like lots of views from just playing covers. So I was like, oh, at what point does it become a business? And what point is it just like, just for fun. I'm going to try and keep it just for fun as much as possible. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I mean, Miguel, you, we talk about this with your hobby all the time. It's not something that you want to use. You don't want to be shipping furniture to Boise, Idaho because <laughs> because I asked. <laughs> no, but you know, you, you talk about that all the time. But yeah, I agree with you, Ben. I think that would make a, a great episode is when you see an opportunity, right? And you're like, okay, this is for sure going to change This is for sure going to change the way that I view this activity or creative outlet. Yeah. And Ben, you touched on something that I think is what Heather Heather mentioned here. And I know Heather. Heather is fantastic. Sorry. I follow her (laughs) channel. She has a great YouTube channel and stuff like that. Go check her out. Heather Just Creates, I think is what it's called. So anyway. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, so Heather, she says a big problem that a lot of new and aspiring creators aren't business savvy since they usually come into the space for a fun or hobby. And Mm. that's exactly what we're talking about is, you know, and this is what our last episode was on a little bit that Haley was talking about, which is you kind of have to be a, a master of all trades a little bit because you have to get into how do I run a business? How do I market myself? How do I reach out to people? And then that, this, that, and the other. Oh, and by the way, I'm also trying to do the thing that I'm trying to do. So, which is crazy. So, yeah, I think that making money is a skill and one that you have to get good at, and as well as running a business. I was listening to a couple streamers that I follow. They play Apex Legends, this video game, and they were just kind of going over their day. And you would think that they play video games eight hours a day, but they don't. They play video games like 
maybe two, maybe three hours. And the rest of it is editing videos, promoting their stuff, doing collaborations. And that is a whole other skill set. Like just learning to edit videos is a whole other skill set beyond just playing video games. And so mm-hmm. when you want to make money on Twitch, I mean, figuring out how to stream properly is a skill in itself too. So, and manage a stream and manage the chat. These are all side skills that are different than just playing a video game for fun. Yeah. It's funny because you look at these people and you're like, wait, this person just plays video games all day. And like they bought a house with the money that they make from just playing video games. Like, are you kidding me? How is this real life? But yeah, this is a classic case of perception is not reality, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. Well, you know, like for someone like uh, Haley, it's like, oh, she just gets to like happy, happy houseplant. You just get to like look at pretty plants and like like make rooms look beautiful and <laughs> you just pour water into a pot and boom, you're done. Like, it's like not exactly. Yeah, not right? exactly. Not exactly. I'm actually this, this topic of conversation has totally shifted. I'm wondering if people end up watching the full and the see the title. People watching this episode after are going to be like, I don't know if I connected the conversation to the title of the episode, but I am here for it and love it. So I think that talking about economics and especially like a personal economics when it comes to being a creator is really important because there's also can be a lot of emotion tied up in that as well, too. Like not just we've kind of focused more on the negative, like not making enough money, but also making like your first dollar for doing something you just think is fun is really fantastic and starting to see like the growth potential be like oh wow i made a hundred dollars this month like what could be possible if i really put more time and effort and like learn some of these skills yeah if i had to drill down like my thought on why this is the case right why more creators do not end up getting to that one percent because i think that there is ample opportunity and room to make you know millions of dollars in the creative economy where I think is, is that creators, and we talked about this, I can't remember which episode it is, but creators tend to, you know, like go from this direction to this direction and look up and look right. You know, Ben, think of how many projects you've yeah. had. And I know this has been a conversation that that you've talked a little bit about, but it's sometimes like just stay the course, you know, like even with ConvertKit, we talk about this internally all the time that we just need to stay the course. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not always an easy thing for creators to do is to stay the course. And for those that have, like, there is not a creator in that 1% that didn't stay the course. And that's just, that's just something to like, to really sit back and think about. I think a really wonderful example of that, and I know this isn't, yeah, a real, but a really wonderful example of that is Florette Farms. If you're familiar with that business, I just had a, a, a baby run into my office. Isn't that exciting? Wow. We're just keeping it live yep. here. Okay. Miguel yep. disappears. Baby comes in. It's the... <laughs> Real life. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Real life here. This is COVID friends. But having said that, Florette Farms, there's Magnolia Network did a show with Florette Farms. It's run by a woman named Erin and I'm forgetting her name, but her story, if you watch it, it's a four-part series on Magnolia Network. It's absolutely beautiful, Mm. but she is a Marie Forleo student. Oh, wow. And she stayed the course, man. And now as a result of this, like, it's really beautiful the way that Magnolia captured her story because they captured her story from buying a very small parcel and her dream of allowing flowers to bring people joy. And she did an unbelievable job of just like pushing and pushing and pushing. And there were a lot of physical limitations to this, a lot of financial limitations. And the ultimate outcome was her story being captured by arguably one of the most creative networks, right? Telling amazing, beautiful stories. 
But she was real, was really interesting because like I said, she was mentored by Marie Forleo this whole time. And if you go and you watch her social media, one of the things that I love about her so much, I screen record these all the time with the intention to share them to our internal team. But one of the things that she does is she does not share any crazy important information anything over social media. She does everything in her newsletter. And it's Mm. like, you want the seeds because she sells seeds. That's what what her business is. She's education. So she does courses and education. And then she sells seeds for her flowers and she does a breeding program. So she has like really desirable flowers, but you want any information. She's like, sign up for my newsletter, sign up for my newsletter, sign up for my newsletter. And it's amazing. It's just, it's an, it's an incredible example of the importance of owning your audience and just saying it. She just says it over and over and over again. But I think that's a creator that I really admire for for staying the course. And since you got to see it visually documented about how hard it was and Magnolia did such a good job of telling that story, it's a, it was a really beautiful, it was just a, a good example. Yeah, I think that's also a really good example of a decision that that creator made that you would think is a small decision, like, oh, am I going to share most of my stuff on Instagram or Twitter, or should I share most of my valuable stuff on email? Like that seems like a small decision, but like there's tons of ramifications because when you're in your email inbox, it's really easy to click links. It's really easy to have longer conversations with people. When you're just an Instagram, you kind of scroll, at least I scroll pretty quickly. And also what you mentioned about staying the course is, who is it, Benjamin Franklin maybe that said that, He's a great believer in luck and the harder he works, the more luck he has. I might be misattributing that quote. And yes, there's lots of other factors that contribute to luck, like, of course. But I think the longer you stick with something, the longer you have, like, the the universe can potentially present opportunities to you. But if you Mm -hmm. give up right away, then it's like, oh, it's you don't give the universe a long enough chance, which sounds kind of wooey Mm -hmm. or foo-foo, but... It's just kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of true. It's just kind of true. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Um, I loved this conversation. I miss Miguel a little bit. Not me. Uh, I'm glad the guy's gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for everybody on the audio who's listening audio, Miguel, right before we started, had a few internet troubles and it didn't get much better. <laughs> <laughs> as the episode went on. So we'll say uh, thanks to Miguel for this was Miguel's episode. So thanks to Miguel for coming to the table with a good topic. I really enjoy this. I love having you on Ben. Yeah. I really enjoy chatting with you, uh, especially when you're not in place of me. You know, and we, get to, <laughs> we get to connect. It's great. Next week, we'll be back with Charlie. I have no idea what she's going to talk about, but she is coming back from Iceland. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of her photos on Instagram and I need to visit Iceland. She's Louise looks gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. So she will be coming back from Iceland. So without a doubt, she will have some good stories for us. So make sure to join us next week. And as always, have a wonderful week and we will see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. 
So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.